Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and experience God's goodness in every area of your life. I hope you enjoy this message today. And if you're looking for more resources, check out chrisvalentin.com. Okay, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. We just we pray for your, your power to move as we share today. Amen. I don't know how it's been in your home, but at Bethel, the power of the Lord's been moving so amazingly. Like we had a business meeting for the school ministry. This is probably two weeks ago. And there's like 70 or 80 of us in the room and we're just doing business of the school and the Holy Spirit started moving so powerfully that most of the team was on the floor. Dan was on the floor weeping. I've never seen Dan on the floor weeping. I was gonna record it and put it on the internet. <laughs> just so people know, he has, really, he has a heart. <laughs> Obviously being funny, but he, he, we were all just being powerfully touched and people started spontaneously prophesying and we spent the whole, I think, hour and 45 minutes of the two-hour meeting just the Holy Spirit just ministering to us. And that's been happening in the tents out there. I don't know if you've had an opportunity to go, but you can, I think they're at 4.30 on Sundays, 6.30, 4, 4 o'clock on Sundays. Yes, I go every Sunday. <laughs> Can't remember when. Um, anyway, super powerful um, if you haven't had an opportunity. Well, I've been doing a series, uh, I've been teaching about every other week on um, the reformers are coming, talking about the reformation of of culture and, and the globe, really. And last Sunday, last, this last Sunday that I spoke, which was two Sundays ago, um, I spoke on, well, really, the whole message was about the fact that you win. <laughs> so that was the whole message. I just told stories and then said you win. About, that was probably the whole message. Um, and uh, it's actually pretty uh, powerful. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you compliment yourself like that. Like, I just thought of it at the end. Like, I just complimented myself. It's okay. Um, but today, I want to talk about loving like God. I want to talk about transforming culture through the love of God. And, you know, the church, um, the reforming power of the church is really love. It's our mandate. It's our secret weapon. It's the power that lies in us is love. And we're really only transformed in, from the inside out by love. I think that we can make each other's life easier. Government can make each other's life easier. The church as an organization can make people's lives easier, feeding the poor, doing all that. But if, we, if they don't actually come, if people don't actually have an experience with the love of God, they actually don't change. That's you, that's me, that's everyone. And um, I wanted to just uh, share just a little bit. I wrote this book called Heavy Rain, and this morning when I was preparing for this message, this wasn't in the message, but this morning when I pre was preparing the message, I just thought of this uh, two or three paragraphs that I wrote in this book, and I'd like to just open with it because it's kind of where I'm going, that we need the Lord from the inside out, that our job is to bring encounters to the Lord. And, I, and I'm gonna talk about it in a little while, but I think that we've in, in, institutionalized much of the church and wonder what happened to the transforming power of God. So um, let me just read you. This will take just about three or four minutes. Jesus commissioned us to make disciples of all nations and then teach them. The Greek word for disciple is amethyst, and it means learner. It may surprise some leaders that we are responsible to create learners and then teach them. 
I have heard many leaders say things like, people just aren't hungry for the truth. What these leaders don't realize is that we are responsible to motivate people to want to learn and to receive, want to learn, receive, and then to teach them, equip them, and train them. Most of us have had an important person in our life who is so passionate about a particular subject that he or she inspired that interest in us and caused us to hunger to know more. This is what, we've, this is what we're called to do for all nations of the world. Jesus sent us out as sheep among wolves. The world is hungry for the body of Christ. They want to consume us, but they need to taste test a little nibble of the real thing so that they can become hungry to eat his flesh and drink his blood, so to speak. When Jesus told people to eat his flesh and drink his blood, he wasn't talking about cannibalism. He's referring to the ingestion of the living word of God. Christ is the word that became flesh. It's important that we encourage people to ingest Jesus and digest his life until Christ is literally formed in them. There's, there, this is where the old, um, this is the old saying, it's, it is, I'm sorry, it, there is an old saying that says, you are, you are what you eat. In this case, it's true. Much of the world has ingested the Bible in one form or another, but many have never digested the living, active word of God. Religion temporarily filled their souls, but it never satisfied the longing they have for real life. The, word ha- the, word, the world has had its fill of religion, and it's fed up with it. Transformation requires assimilation, not just consumption. For the, time be- for, um, for the time being, I'm lactose intolerant. When I consume dairy products, my body will not assimilate them into my system. Many people in the world are gospel intolerant. When they listen to the preaching of the word, it has no effect on them. Or even worse yet, and actually creates a negative reaction in them. And then there are others who have consumed just enough of religion that they've become intolerant. They've been inoculated from the real Jesus. Hearing about the Bible without experiencing God leads to religious form without any power. It's like exchanging the communion meal for a dinner commentary or a cookbook. We owe the world an encounter with God. When people get exposed to their creator, they find him enticing. I mean, simply irresistible. We need a strategic plan birthed by the Holy Spirit that can bring the kingdom into every realm of society. We have emphasized the innocent as doves part of the de- for decades. Well, well, holding to this, it's important that we become wise as serpents. Um, I was in a, a meeting, I think it was uh, this last week, and David Stein was sharing, and he, and he said this, um, we attract who we are, but Jesus attracted who he loved. We attract people who are like us, but Jesus didn't just attract people like him. Jesus attracted people he loved. And I want to talk about the love of God. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 19, and we've talked about this many times, Jesus quotes the Old Testament, which says, honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Honor your mother and father, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I, I want to just point out that you can't really love other people until you love yourself. And we'll, there are so many, uh, I think that, humility has been redefined as not feeling good about yourself. I want to say this to everybody in the room. It's normal to feel good about you. Okay. People watching by Bethel TV and watching on YouTube, they get this. It is normal to feel good about you. If most of us talked to other people the way we talk to ourselves in our inner, in our inner world, in our self-talk, we wouldn't have any friends. If we treated our friends like we treat ourselves, if we said to other people what we say to ourselves hundreds of times a day, we probably wouldn't, couldn't find a friend with the way we treat ourselves. 
I'm saying it's really important that we treat ourselves with love so that we can treat others with love. I said this many times, but Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Everybody needs to have a big ass. Because you can only love your neighbor to the level that you love yourself. And I, I want us to create a culture, I want us to have a culture in which we actually love us. Like when you actually feel good about you. How many know that you aren't fully alive until you have accepted the fact that you are imperfect but you are no longer a sinner saved by grace? I was taught that I was a sinner saved by grace. But how many know when Jesus, when he saved me, he didn't, his blood didn't just forgive me, it transformed me. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I was at a, I was at a particular, I, actually I was at a YWAM base and I was teaching about the transformed life. And I was saying that the greatest lie, or at least one of the greatest lies in Christendom is that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And the point I was making is, Paul said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, is his point. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Demonstrate that he loved me before I deserved it. But then I said, if, if while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me, then I am no longer a sinner. <laughs> and when I received Jesus Christ, I was born again, and, and Peter said that I actually have the divine nature. I actually have the nature of my father. He didn't just save me, he delivered me from my old man. He killed the old man, and I became alive. And I was talking about the fact that I am no longer a sinner, that there's a river that runs through me, it runs towards the throne. If I don't paddle, I'll end up at God's house. Amen. And in the middle of the meeting, a young man couldn't take it any longer. There was about a thousand uh, students in the room and he stood up, he's like six foot six, and he shouts to me, have you ever gone a full day without sinning? And you know, you can feel the tension in the room. It's much worse than this. I said, yes. He said, two days? I said, yes. He said, have you ever gone a week without sinning? I said, yes. He sat down angry. And I said to him and the rest of the team, I said, many of you struggle with sin because you were taught after you received Jesus that you're just a sinner saved by grace and you're sinning by faith. Because you got righteous by faith. If, you don't, if your pastor taught you, you are the only difference between you and anyone else, anybody who doesn't know the Lord, is that you're actually forgiven. It's not true that you're just forgiven. You're actually, you actually have the power. God actually has the power to transform your life. And the Holy Spirit moved in so that you wouldn't sin. 1 John chapter 1, I, was, I actually got up and read this to him. I said, 1 John chapter 1 says, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then the next verse says, if anyone says he hasn't sinned, he makes God a liar. Now, the bad thing, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the, the tough thing about some of the Bible is that I think the guy who put the chapter and verses in was riding on a horse and he must have hit a bump right then. Because sometimes we read chapter breaks as if, okay, the author's going to tell me about something else. But actually, the book of John is one letter. The very next verse, remember, here's the previous verse. If anyone says he hasn't sinned, he makes God a liar. But here's the very next verse. The problem is it's on a chapter break. It says, my little children, I have written to you that you may not sin. Next verse, if anyone sins, not when, if 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And I said to him, listen, before I knew Jesus, in order to not sin, I didn't need an attorney, I needed a savior. But once I received Jesus, I don't need a savior, of course I always need a savior, but I don't need a savior now, I need an attorney because I have power over, this, over sin. Sin doesn't have power over me. You didn't get what I just said. I said, I don't have to sin. So if I sin, I willfully sin, and I don't need a Savior because the Savior has already changed my nature. Let me say this. I always need a Savior. I'm talking about the Savior came in, and he delivered me from that. Now I need the Savior for other things, but I don't need him to stop making me sin because he transformed me. Now I need an attorney. And then 3 John, I mean, 1 John chapter 3, which is the same letter, says, if you say you know God, but practice sin, then you're a liar. Because his seed abides in you, and therefore you can't sin. And I read it to him, and I said, this is the book that says, if I say I haven't sinned, then I make God a liar. That was how I started. I started out as a sinner. I have to admit that I sin. By the way, how many know every sinner needs mercy and grace? Mercy means that I have to admit that I have a problem. If I make my sin my identity and I go, oh, I didn't really sin, that's the way I was created. How many know I can't receive mercy or grace because I just said I don't have a problem? (laughs) But once once I admit my sin, he forgives me and cleanses me from all unrighteousness. And now, guess what? Now I can live a sin free life. If I sin, I have an advocate. Now, I'm not saying anyone, some of you are like, I sin, I must not know God. No, I'm pointing out that you have power over it. The point isn't to make you feel bad. The point is to actually give you faith so you don't have to live like that. I'm addicted to pornography. You were, but you aren't. Well, I believe I am. That's why you are. Good point, Chris. So how many of you know that where I'm going is this, I have to love me so I can love you. If I want the world to have an experience with him, how many know, I may be the only Jesus they know. From the standpoint that he lives in me, I'm not Christ, but Christ lives in me, I am his hands extended to the world. How I feel about me has everything to do with how they experience me. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I love you, that you also love one another. This is interesting because Jesus quoted, he quotes Deuteronomy, love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's an Old Testament passage. And then he says, okay, I'm gonna give you a new commandment. I don't want you to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's the new part. I want you to love your neighbor as I love you. How many know loving your neighbor as you love yourself is good, but loving your neighbor as Jesus loves you is God. And he's like, the God who flows in you, I want to flow through you. I don't want you to just love them with human love. I want you to give them some agape. I want them to experience the love you're experiencing. I don't want you to cap it up. I want you to flow it. I want you to let it flow. Here's the new way we're gonna love. Listen, way beyond loving your neighbor as you love yourself, I want you to take the love of God, apply it to your life, and let it flow through your life. People experiencing the love of God. And then he says, well, you wanna know what love looks like? 
Want to know what love looks like? I love Heidi Baker's quote. Love looks like something. In Luke chapter 6, verse 27, we're jumping right into the middle of a conversation that Jesus is having specifically with his disciples. He said, love your enemies. Do good, those, do good for those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also. And whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him. Give to everyone who asks of you. And whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the way you want to be treated. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Interesting, the word credit is actually the word grace. It's not the root word, it's actually the word grace. God says, Jesus said, if you love those who love you, what grace is there on your life? For you, even, uh, for sinners, even love those who love them. If you do good to those who love you, do good to you, what grace is there on your life? If even sinners, for even sinners do the same, if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what grace is there to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same from them. But love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will become sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to the ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Um, years ago, we bought a service station. And the very first week, the Forest Service brought over six tires and rims for us to mount the tires on these brand new rims and put them on the truck. It was, uh, turned out to be one of our biggest accounts. And we left the truck outside. There's almost no theft in Weaverville. Nobody locks their houses. Now everybody will after I just stream this. <laughs> They're like, that's where I'm going. But we got there on Saturday morning. I got there on Saturday morning, pulled the truck in, and the tires, were, tires and rims were gone. We had only been in business, I think, a week. We're like, oh, what do we do? It was, anyway, I think it cost us like $1,500, $1,600. And about a week later, I get a call from the sheriff, who was a good friend of mine. He said, did you guys lose some tires? Did, did you have some tires stolen from? I think there's a report here that you had tires stolen. I said, yes. He said, I think we found them can you come down to the Ace Hardware store because the truck's parked there? So I go down to the Ace Hardware store and the knucklehead who stole the tires, they actually had yellow crayon that said Forest Service right on the side of the tires and he left, he, he mounted them, crayon out. Not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Anyway, I come down and I go, yeah, those are the tires and they arrest him. And they take him to jail and he's out after, I don't know, not too long, 30 days or whatever. And about six months later, he doesn't, by the way, he, never, he doesn't know that I know that he stole our tires. So about six months later, he brings his truck in to get a smog certificate on it. And at the time, I was the only guy that had a smog certificate license. So he comes in, he leaves the truck in the morning, I didn't see him. And so we're, we're you know, they, we, the guys pull it in, they're like, hey, this needs to be smogged. And I start looking at the truck and I said, show me the work order on that truck. And they bring over the work order, and it's the guy who stole my tires. So I got the hood up, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I'll give you a smog. I'll give you a smog you will never forget. This truck will not produce smog for a long time. So I get underneath the hood, 
And I'm sitting up, it's a four-wheel drive, so in order to get up in there, you have to actually, actually climb in the, underneath the hood. So I'm underneath the hood, and I'm going to tear the engine all apart and leave it in little pieces in the back of his truck and say, God bless you. <laughs> I wasn't always this holy. <laughs> Brian and Jen know me. This is a BB before Bethel. So I'm under the hood and I'm tearing, I'm tearing the engine apart. And one of my friends who's a believer, he walks by and he goes, what that, I thought that came in for a smog, what are you doing? I said, he stole our tires. I'm gonna tear that engine in little pieces and I'm gonna put it in the back of his truck and I'm gonna say, God bless you. He goes, looks at me, and goes, well, what would Jesus do? <laughs> That's all he said, he didn't argue, he just said, what would Jesus do? I'm like, oh man. <laughs> Anyone ever, Interrupted, you're mad with what would Jesus do? Oh no. So I'm sitting there in the truck and I'm like, what would Jesus do? Oh man. So I put his engine all back together and I smog it. And and you know, it needed a whole bunch of needed all kinds of things to smog it. So he brought it in for something simple like $30 smog, and it turned out to need like $150 worth of work. And I'm like, I, I do all the work. And then I get the bill and I write paid in full. And, and then I tell my guys, when he comes in to pick up the truck, I want to explain the work order to him. And they're like, okay. So he comes in at the end of the day and he walks in and the guys go, he's here. So I, I grab the work order and I take it over to him. And I say, hey, you brought your truck in for a smog, but you stole my tires. And he goes, oh, oh, not me. I wasn't my, my mother, my father, my grandfather, my uncle made me do it. You know, it's just going on. He's like super, I mean, I thought he was gonna, I thought he was gonna faint. He started telling me, no, 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 I go, hey man, cool it. Da, da, da. I said, shut up, man. Let me finish. Oh, I'm so, you know, I didn't, I didn't. I said, man, can you, I'm serious, just chillax. Let me finish. He's like, what? I said, well, I was underneath your hood and, and, and somebody walked by and said, what would, the, what would Jesus do? And I just felt like you needed to experience the love of God and I wanted you to know how much he loves you. So I decided just to give the smog and you needed all these parts. So I put them on there and, and then I, here's the work order paid in full. He, he, this is what he did. He looked at me, he looks at the work order, he looks up at me and he goes, okay. And, and then, I, so I sat there for a minute, see if he had any, do you have any questions? Okay. So I, I leave the, the lobby room, and I'm, I'm in the room, and the guys are like, look at him. And he's staring out the window, and he, after about every 20 seconds, he goes, okay. He's just staring there saying, okay. About three minutes pass, and he comes out, and he jumps in his truck, and it's, it's in the bay. And he jumps in his truck, and he, he starts it up, and then he sits there with it idling, staring out the window, just going, Okay, okay, he's in the bay for like five minutes. Okay, I'm like, that was totally worth it. There's something about people experiencing the love of God that they can't explain. Like it blew his mind. I know for you it's simple, you're like, yeah, we're Christians, you did something for him. I understand that, but for him, he did evil and he received good. His mind couldn't comprehend what just happened. 
He couldn't get his mind to comprehend that he got something for free because he did something evil. He, understood, he didn't get that where, grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, but he experienced what he couldn't explain. It was powerful. Personally, I have no desire to build a church where only Republicans come. Or Democrats. Or white people, or black people, or Asian people. I mean, that's denominationalism. Like, I want to have a church where we just love people. We just love people. I mean, not just enemies, but kind of. I remember when I got saved, I realized I was in the full gospel movement. Full gospel. We would say, We're, are you full gospel? Yes, I'm full gospel. The connotation is, you're not. We are so right. We are full gospel. You don't believe everything in the gospel. Yes, when we get before God, we want God to know, we're the people who believed all the words. They weren't. They should live over there. How right does someone have to be to be loved? Let me ask you a question. Are you sure you're right? Because you may not be right. I've written 14 books, and I have chapters I don't agree with. You know, the publisher wrote, would you like to like rewrite that book and we'll relaunch it? You know, they think add to it. I'm like, I'd like to take out whole chapters. <laughs> Not because I think they were wrong, but there's just an overemphasis of something that I was screaming that it feels like the Lord was whispering. And I'm like, how right do you have to be to be loved? Well, I can't love you because your political convictions are different. You vote for so-and-so. You can't even be saved. Dude, I am so out of that lane. You wear masks. I'm just going to do whatever it takes for people to feel loved. You feel scared? I'll wear the mask. I don't care. I don't feel, I'm not scared, but you are. What's it take for you to feel loved? Robin Williams said, people say, the hardest thing in the world is to be lonely. He said, it's not true. The hardest thing in the world is to be around people who make you feel lonely. Proverbs 3.3 says, don't let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so that you might find favor with God and good repute in the sight of God and man. This is talking about wearing truth and kindness like a necklace. I remember this, I, I read this, uh, this is probably three or four or five years ago, this story where a daughter and mother were going shopping and the mom wasn't in a great mood. And when she got to the checkout, the lady was doing something and her and her mom, you know, her mom and, and the checkout lady got an argument. And so when they left, the mom said to the daughter, that lady makes me so mad. She goes, no, mom, you had, Matt, you had Matt with you way before you got to the counter. <laughs> what would happen if we carried truth? You know, ladies, how important it is for you to look beautiful. Us guys, we, we try to. 
It's like, what if you put on kindness and truth every day? Like you were actually kind. You made me so mad. You made me so kind. No, mom, you had kindness in you. It just leaks. You're just leakers wherever you go. Not leeches. Just be clear. That's a different Greek word. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it is. <laughs> you know, love isn't a feeling. Love incites feelings. If a truck runs over my foot, I have pain. I feel pain. Pain isn't the truck. <laughs> this is the stupidest illustration I've ever had. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm kind of embarrassed I'm reading this now. I've done it three times, and every time I'm like, oh, if a truck runs over my foot, the pain isn't the truck. It's the manifestation of the truck. Okay, in my illustration, the truck is love. <laughs> I guess I should have had some kind of a positive illustration. The manifestation is feeling, but the truck is love. I, I, I dated Kathy for a long time, five years before we got married. I, I, we actually got engaged when she was 13. <laughs> First time he heard that. We went together for, <laughs> yeah, we're still, making, we're still trying to see if we can make it work. It's been 46 years. But I, I became a Christian a year before we got married. And an interesting thing happened to me. I mean, I love Kathy. Like we, uh, she lived 30 miles from me. And that was like a universe away. So I had to drive to her house every weekend. So I saw her Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I actually got to stay over her house on Friday nights and Saturday nights. And I would drive there during, during the week, even through the rain or the snow uphill both ways. <laughs> What's, you know, <laughs> ain't no mountain high enough, you know what I mean? <laughs> and Kathy would stand in the street every Sunday night, she'll tell you this is true, when I was leaving, and she'd cry. Every Sunday night, for five years. I mean, we were passionate. And about a year before we got married, we got saved, and I don't know, three or four months into salvation, I lost all feelings for her. And I was like a brand new Christian. But you know how when you're a brand new Christian, like God almost speaks to you audibly? And then like two years in, you can't hear him. You're like, oh. I was in that season where like the Lord was just, he didn't speak to me audibly, but like he was talking to me. I lost complete feeling for it. And I was really, I was really, you know, I was raised in, you know, you lost that love and feeling. And what's God, what's God, what's love have to do with it? I was, in, I was in that generation, like, love is a feeling, and I had lost that love and feeling, and I was like, I was trying to, like, reconcile, like, was God speaking to me? Was God saying, now that you know me, I don't want you to marry her? And I was trying to figure out, like, why is this feeling gone? And it lasted for six months, no feelings. In the middle of it, and I, and I was praying, I'm like, God, oh, what what's going on? What should I do? And I had this overwhelming inner sense, no, no words, no Bible verses at that time, didn't know the Bible, that I should stick, stick in it, like stay with it. 
I, I didn't know why. I was like, I don't know where this is going, but I'm, uh, and I felt the, I felt, and now I would say Holy Spirit, but I felt this overwhelming sense that I should treat her like I was treating her when I was feeling it. And at the, at the end of six months, it just turned back on. Like it just turned on as if someone flipped a switch. Like I woke up one morning and I was like, oh baby, <laughs> where have you been all my six month life, you know? And I said to the Lord, what was that about? He said, I wanted to make sure that you actually love this woman in a, with covenantial love and you weren't just marrying her because you felt like it. I, want you, I wanted to know that you really loved her, so when I took away your feeling, I wanted to see if you'd make a choice for love. Strange thing is, 46 years, I would say that six month has helped to save my marriage because there are many dry times in marriage. There are things that happen in marriage, and I don't mean between us because we have a great relationship, but there are kids, there are financial issues, we had a business crash, so on and so forth. There are lots of times when you're not feeling it, but you know you're loving it. Do you know what I mean? Every time I'm not feeling it, I go back to that six months as a brand new Christian. I go, I know what this is about. This is just a test of the emergency broadcasting system to make sure that my love is not rooted in feeling. It's rooted in God. I want to, I want to take us to 1 Corinthians 13 for a minute. I don't think you can preach on love and not like at least read this chapter. Um, verse one, I want us to read this chapter, verse one, at least part of this chapter. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all, all knowledge, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, it, it, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor and I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, it does not brag, it's not arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it's not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. I wanna talk about the Second part first. I have struggled with patience my whole life. If you ask me, what is your greatest struggle? I've had lots of external struggles like we have. I have financial struggles and physical struggles. But my greatest inner struggle is impatience. I have felt since I was a little boy that the world is running at 40 miles an hour and I'm running inside at 70. Have you ever been on the freeway and you're in a hurry and the speed limit's 70 and you get behind two cars who've decided to like yoke <laughs> and they're going like 45? Not for, not for two minutes, for like 25, 30 minutes. And you're like, you know that feeling? You've lost that love and feeling for sure. You're like, beep, beep, shine the lights. Like I'm in a hurry, I'm going somewhere. That's how I feel my whole life. I feel like, for those of you that are old, I feel like, you know, a 78 record playing on 33. Hi, I love you. I'm like, I'm spinning faster than that. I need to go. 
she's lived with me the whole time. And she's like, Miss Patient. She's like, I'm yoked to like someone who wants to go slow and hates X Games. I'm like, come on, let's go. Drag marks. Well, it was probably just a few months ago, and we had all the grandkids over, and I love, I love my grandkids. Like, my family is, besides Jesus, the most important thing in my life. But we were having one of those days, and I don't remember what it was. I honestly don't remember the circumstance, but I remember it was one of those days where my patients were maxed, and I was doing that, you know? And, and I didn't say anything. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I totally behaved myself. But when they left, I went up to my room and I cried. Not because of what they did, because they weren't doing anything wrong, but because of what was going on inside of me and how I was feeling about them just because it wasn't going the way I thought it should be going. I turned into Igor inside. (laughs) And I went upstairs and I laid on my bed and I was just so hurt that I could feel that way towards people I love so much. And I said to the Lord, Lord, I need patience. He said, no, you don't. He said, love is patient. Stop praying for patience and pray for love. Every time I feel that sense like I want to go faster, I've been doing that the last few months. Lord, I just pray for more love. Pray for more love for my grandkids, more love for the person that's bought. Lord, I pray for love for the people who have yoked up in front of me in Jesus' name. (laughs) But maybe the most powerful thing about Corinthians, at least for me right now in this chapter, is you can do stuff and not love. You can give your body to be burned and not love. You can have faith that moves mountains, but not love. I don't know if that scares you, it scares the bejeebers out of me. That actually, just because I do something doesn't mean I actually am doing it out of love. And I started thinking last night as I was just I was, you know, preparing, I started thinking about this whole thing about love and about the fact that it's only love that transforms people. Like I think about my life, there's lots of people who did good things for me. And I'm so thankful for them. But I was never changed from the inside out until I, as an 18-year-old little boy, young, young man, I should say, experienced, experienced, experienced the love of God. That was the beginning of the sandcastle falling in my life. Banning, I love Banning Leapshire. He's one of my favorite people. And he started a church. You guys know the Jesus Culture Church. And when it was like a year old or two years old, you know, a congregate came to him and said, do you have a ministry to the poor in this church? He said, I don't know. Are you ministering to the poor? If you are, we have a ministry to the poor. <laughs> and the guy kind of looked at him and they kind of laughed and Banny's like, no, I'm serious. And, and I, I feel like, I was thinking about that, that whole thing and I, I feel like we've institutionalized the church and the side effects is the side effect is that we're taking away personal responsibility from the body of Christ. I, I want to point out institutions cannot love people. Organizations cannot love people. Corporations cannot love people. Governments cannot love people. They can do think, good things for people, but they cannot love people. The only people who can love people is God and you. Love must be personal to be powerful. If you want your organization to experience love, it must experience people. I love 
I, I love Home Depot. No, I mean, next to church, I'd rather be there. Seriously, they have my stuff in there, man. I, I, like, I'm like a king in there. When they see me in here, they want to like, give me a personal tour. Like, Mr. Bellaton, we got some new stuff today you probably want to buy. Like, I think I have funded Reading. And I was in there the other day, like a week ago. I'm in there like several times a week. I have an addiction. I'm sorry, okay, I have an addiction. Even if I don't need something, I just go buy a tool. Just, just you know, when you are lonely, go downtown. Dude, I, I admit it. I confess another sin of mine. But I went in there and I got some stuff, and I always go in the in the you know the, the self checkout line because I can move stuff. So I want to move in there. <laughs> and I was moving through the checkout line, and I got it all down. Doo -doo 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 -doo, and I put it all in the bag. And when I finished, it said thank you. The computer said thank you. Have Have you ever just spontaneously go? You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And I walked out. I'm like, that, he's not thankful for me. He's a machine. He cannot possibly be thankful for me. He has no emotion. Or maybe it's a she. I don't know. But you are not thankful for me. Someone programmed you to say thank you, but you are not thankful. Have you ever had your insurance company write you a birthday card that's freaking automated? Mr. Valentin, we're here to celebrate your birthday. You cannot be celebrating my birthday. You are a machine. You are not happy I had a birthday. You happen to, oh, makes me crazy. Like, and we sent this so you would feel loved. Really? I feel no love from you. You cannot love me. You are a machine. Siri doesn't love you. Neither does Alexa. It's a joke. It's a joke. Good morning, Mr. Velton. Don't even try to think I, you want me to have a good morning. You were programmed to say that. You have no feelings towards me whatsoever. You do not love me. Love money. Uh, my point is, I have one. If you want to change the world, We'll have to do it through people because only people and God can extend love to people. And I have a great fear that we think the organization of the church is going to change the world. And I'd say the organization of the church can feed the poor. The organization of the church can help the broken. So on and so forth. I get it. I'm a part of it. I love strategic planning. And all of that's fine. But Having a strategic plan doesn't guarantee people will feel love because it has to be instituted by people who actually love. Now talk about love. I'm saying we can make, we can feed people. That's awesome. It's awesome that people didn't die because we fed them. And so on, save babies. I mean, on and on. It's, it's, it's all good. And I understand there's another side of this whole message. I'll probably preach it next week or the week after, whatever. I understand there's another side. Some of you want to argue the other side. I'll argue it for you next time. But my point is, is that if people don't touch people, okay, I understand, yes, we have to do all this other stuff. But if people 
actually think, do you have a ministry to the poor here? I don't know, do you reach out to the poor? Because how many know, reaching out to the poor as an institution doesn't have the impact that reaching out to the poor by love has. And if we want people to be changed, if you really actually want to change the world, then the only way, and I said, the only way to actually change the world is for people to experience the love of God that's beyond explanation. I want to finish with a quick story. Nehemiah chapter 4, I'll give you the quick overview, which you've heard many times. The walls of Jerusalem were broken down for 114 years. For 72 years, the Israelites tried to rebuild them. For 72 years. Did you get that part? What they couldn't do in 72 years, the Israelites, Nehemiah did in 52 days. And he did it with the same people who were actually trying to rebuild the walls for 72 years. In other words, he didn't bring the army of, uh, Corps of Engineers in or hire some other people to do it. He actually did it with the people who were trying to do it. Are you with me? Yeah. And his name, Nehemiah, means comforter. So guess who he's illustrating in the book? I want to just read you one short paragraph. When the Jews who lived near them, near Jerusalem, with walls they're trying to build, came and told us 10 times, They've come up, they'll come up against us in every place you turn. Then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the spaces in the wall, by the exposed places, and I stationed them. Listen to this, here's the key verse. I stationed them in families with swords, spears, and bows. When I saw their fear, I arose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, and I said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. I'd like to point out that Nehemiah did the impossible because he turned an institution into a whole bunch of lovers who changed history. He had them work on the wall. His strategy was, listen, instead of having us work over here, let's all go over here and work on the north wall. He didn't do that. He stationed people, he stationed people on the wall in whole families in the wall closest to their house. So as they're working on the wall, it's actually benefiting their family. I'm saying he turned it into a love feast. And he, he rebuilt the walls because he found a way to get lovers to be workers. And when you get lovers to be workers, you don't just get the work done, you actually are working for love. Work for your families. Work for your sons, your daughters, your wives. And what I'm getting at is that if we'll take our daily life and turn it into a love feast or a love fest, and we're saying, I'm going to live for love. And you're not saying, what's Bethel Church supposed to be? How come Bethel Church, how come they don't fix that? Why don't, they? Why don't you? Why don't you take everything, every bug you have in your bonnet? That was a great save. Why don't you take every irritation you have? Why don't they? And I don't know why. Yeah, they should be doing it. And why don't you do it? Because if you do it, it'll flow out of love. Do you have a ministry to women who've had abortions? I don't know. Do we? Do you do that? If you do, then we do. And let's take an institution and make it a love feast. Would you stand?
I believe in good government, but I think we put the responsibility in politicians' hands to change the world, and I'd, and I'd like to suggest that only lovers can change the world. Why don't you put your hand on your heart? And why don't you just say this, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to let truth and kindness be the necklace I wear every day. Lord, I pray that you would increase my love for people that I disagree with, that I think are wrong, even enemies. I pray you would increase my love so that I could have patience for them, so that I could be kind to them, so that I could treat them well, even when they don't treat me well. That I'd be kind to people who are unkind to me, and I'd actually feel great about it, knowing that I extended to them what they didn't have in their own soul. And I thank you for it. Amen. God bless you. Thank you all that are watching by Bethel TV too. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelleton.com. Have an awesome day.